0: Thank you, everybody. This is Dave Serrani with uh, Jago's Sh- the Shmooz, and we're here with Cliff Viner. Uh, Cliff, we're so excited to have you with us today.
1: Thanks very, very much, Rabbi. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Um, the honor is ours. So let's get started, Cliff. Uh, let's talk, Cliff Viner. So, Cliff, you can tell us your story, uh, your background. Um, we love to hear it. <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a Brooklyn boy. I was born in uh, 1948 in. Me Brooklyn. too. Where are you born in Brooklyn?
1: Uh, born in Flatbush and uh, lived in the projects in Sheepshead Set Bay.
0: Oh, I'm from Canarsie, not too far away. Oh, yes. Yeah, got
1: got some friends from Canarsie. All great. All great. So um, we moved to the island and um, I went off to college, went to Penn, um, graduated Wharton and uh, went into the, um, in effect, the money management and finance business.
0: And what was it like back then? How did you get into that business? Why did you choose the finance business?
1: It's a good question. I I think my dad always um, directed me towards that. And I really wanted to be in that business from a very early age. I actually, in my seventh grade math class, the teacher actually let me teach a class for two days on the stock market in seventh grade. So I guess I knew what I wanted to do.
0: And what was your career? What what did you focus on in your career? Um,
1: Um, Yeah, I became an equities analyst first. And then I actually um, ran a bunch of public mutual funds for Phoenix Mutual Life Insurance Company. Uh, By 1980, I was running um, six of their public mutual funds. And then in 1980, my partner-to-be asked me to come out to Chicago to look at The financial futures business and it was um, extremely intriguing and I had this sense that financial derivatives financial futures the derivatives business was going to be a. Very big business, so um, I left Phoenix mutual went out to Chicago worked uh, on the government securities desk at William Blair and along with my partner, we ran the uh, government securities trading operation. For William Blair in Chicago.
0: And then what happened after that?
1: Well, what happened that is, is the industry started to blossom. There were all of these types of business that didn't exist before, uh, the futures business being one, but then derivatives came with rate swaps, rate caps, total return swaps. Um, the sort of the birth of what you see today is a very, very um, evolved uh, financial derivatives business started back then in the early 80s. And so uh, we did that with Blair for uh, until the end of 84. Um, In 82, we started our own business on the Blair desk with their permission, made them a special uh, limited partner. But then in 84, we decided it was time to go out on our own and we left for Florida. (laughs) The better weather, Chicago weather was very difficult back then. And we moved our both our money management business, which was called Triple I, and our broker dealer business called AVM. We moved uh, with nine people uh, down to Florida to Boca, to Boca Raton.
0: It's funny how these days it seems like a lot of companies are following your footsteps, but years and years later. So, so I guess it's somewhat flattering, right?
1: You know, it's funny. We really did get a head start. By Ahead of your time. Year almost 40 years and you know obviously a lot of the powerhouses are coming down here millennium elliot uh, citadel um you know real powerhouses in our industry and they finally made the move um you know down to either west palm boca miami
0: do you see uh i guess companies are still seeing the benefit of moving down to florida more so probably than ever um But it seems like you did it more for the weather than for financial reasons.
1: Um, We did it for lifestyle. Uh, My partner had some land down here. Uh, We uh, talked to some of our friends that had already moved down to South Florida. And then we visited and it just seemed like a magnificent place. Look, had we moved to New York or stayed in Chicago I think our business would have even been bigger and more successful and you know, larger assets under management. But there was, looking back, it was one of the best things I've done in terms of building a life, building a family, uh, building community. One thing that happened is a lot of us who moved down here at that time really got to um, literally Build Boca Raton, meaning build the synagogues, build the schools, build the institutions. Um, so many us of us were involved in doing all that. It made it really, you know, our home and our place and our community. So um we really had a chance to do something special in Boca, and this area has become unusually special.
0: When somebody's young, leaving business or law school, or starting on their career in finance, should geography play a part in their decision?
1: Um, If lifestyle is important, you know, a lot of people today seem to pick lifestyle uh, over career. We were lucky enough that we could do our business from here, yet enjoy. Back then, if you were a South Florida money management firm or broker dealer was actually, you know, yes, a disadvantage. I don't think today you have those disadvantages anymore. People realize people locate for whatever reason suits them. And if they can build a business and with all the, you know, remote work these days, um, people accept your location.
0: What are your thoughts on remote employees these days? I think it seems like it's trending that we're, everyone's trying to get their employees back to the workplace because it shows that um you can be more productive and, and better better team atmosphere. What are your thoughts on that, Cliff?
1: Yeah, I have some strong feelings, especially about my industry. We're a trading firm, okay? People used to ask me in the, you know, when I stopped sort of trading and really managed, but I mean, I sat right in the middle of the trading desk for my whole career. And managing the trading desk Uh, Even during COVID, I demanded that everyone come in on the trading desk. And the reason is this. People would say to me, what do you do, trade all day? And I said, no, what I really do is argue all day. What I would do is, you know, you go to each one of your traders and say, why are we doing this? Why are we using these options? Why are not we doing out of the monies? Why don't we do this in Japan? What, why, what would happen if we did it in Germany? And it's the kind of thing that pushes the frontier continuously. It mentors people, it teaches people. You learn, you get to learn from all your people. During the three week shutdown, it was only three weeks everybody was out of the office. It was late April, 2020 when everything was shut down. So I thought, okay, no problem. We'll put everybody on the speakerphone. And my smaller trading desk was 14 people. I figured, okay, no big deal. We'll just talk all day. Nobody talked. I was the only one talking, raising issues, questions. It doesn't work remotely. You don't push the frontier from your basement. In my business, in our business, you don't do it. You do it by banging heads all day long. That's my <laughs> strong opinion. But um, to j- just to say to not be so uh, either hard headed or narrow minded, um, uh, I have a significant position with the Urban League of Palm Beach County, and I asked our CFO. I said to him hey, how is remote working doing for you? And he said, Cliff, it's extended my career five years. I said, what do you mean? He said, Cliff, first of all, I don't know if you know, I commute 35 miles each way. He said, second, you know my office at the Urban League. It's cramped it's crowded, it's noisy, people interrupt me all day long. It's very hard for me to do work. He said, here, I have my two best employees on a speaker. I can work all day. I'm not interrupted. I have access. I'm three times more productive. So I guess I can't use my view of wanting everybody together for everything but I think certain jobs are, are much better to learn and especially to bring along the next generation. Yeah, I agree. I mean,
0: I think that makes a lot of sense, Cliff. It seems like maybe perhaps your colleague is so much later on in their career um, and it's it's giving them so much more time in, in, in this industry, but for for young people who are coming out of business school, what would you recommend they do? And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say they should be in the thick of it on the floor learning.
1: Right? Also, you, you build relationships. How are you going to build a relationship with your managers, other portfolio managers, whatever you're doing, other salespeople? How do you learn? Now, a lot of people, you know, they have all these remote meetings, but I find them not the same. And I find that you don't have that same rapport, that same questions, you know, when you spend 20 minutes after the meeting talking to somebody about something that they said. When that meeting ends, everybody leaves the meeting. (laughs) It's leave meeting. So um, I I find it much better. I think relationships, learning, mentoring, teaching, um, being together means a lot in a career. It's my opinion.
0: Cliff, what were the biggest... What was the biggest challenge you faced in your career? How did you deal with it, and what could we all learn from it?
1: Yeah, you know, there's one thing. You know, you wrote me when you said, "Hey, there may be some questions about career, what's important, and everything." Um, I taught one of the courses on entrepreneurship at the Urban League, and what I put as the subject matter as to what i thought was important was this and that is whatever business you're building if you're going to be an entrepreneur if you're going to have the chance to maybe build a business do your own thing create your own uh, endeavor okay the key thing is this and we know it at my firm's triple i and avm and that is It's character, character, character. You say, what do you mean? When I interview somebody at my business for a significant position, I always tell them that I have a trick question for them. And I said, look, it's a trick question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. What three things do you think I'm looking for if I'm gonna hire a person at your level in our organization? And they also say things like, you know, um, hard worker works well with others, integrity, learns quickly, is is good, you know, with clients, blah blah blah. And I say those are all fine answers, but I said it was a trick question, and I tell them that the answer is character, character, character. So in that entrepreneurship cor- course. The thing I stressed during my session was that if you're going to build a business, you have to surround yourself with partners of character, employees of character, customers of character, vendors of character. Because at some point, if you don't, it will take its toll on you and the business and very often the time to recover is significant. It's easy, very easy for people to be um, uh, collaborative, cooperative, happy when things are going well but when things are difficult, character emerges. And if you don't have those kind of people that you want to be with in the trenches, when it's difficult, you're going to find out the hard way. And there were times I found out the hard way. And I learned tremendously from those experiences that you need character people don't skimp, don't think these people can make you money. They're good, they'll work out short term. Um, I can do the best of them and the worst of them won't take its toll. It's not worth it. You need people of character.
0: What is the biggest surprise about your career? Um, Is it something like a win that happened, a success that happened? Um, but something that you really were surprised about—a a direction maybe you took that you didn't think you'd take—anything you can think of?
1: I was surprised, uh, even though I sensed that the financial futures and derivatives business was going to be a big business. We didn't even know at that time how it was going to evolve. The surprise was is how huge it became, and what it attracted at the beginning. I mean, we had such um, a head start on everybody, understanding things, understanding different algorithms. We weren't the math guys of today. But what happened 10 and 20 years later is all these PhD physicists and mathematicians got into the business and they figured it out. And even though they still don't know some of the things we know about, how money works, et cetera, et cetera, um, the head start we had was great. The business became huge. But like in all businesses, competition comes in and competed a lot of it away. And now it is very, very competitive. There were some trades in the old days, an arbitrage. Okay, today you would do an arbitrage for a quarter of a point. We had some arbitrages. That made six or eight points in 18 months back then. That's how much things were misunderstood, misread. People didn't put different universes of derivatives together. Now everybody's a smart guy. The business is very competitive. And it takes, you know, um, it's much more difficult to find the great arbitrages
0: on that no cliff, let's talk failure, which uh, not all people like to talk about, but failure happens. And and I was just talking to one of our alumni who at a business school started a business and it failed, never got back on his feet, struggling. It's hard. Yeah. And failure is hard to hard to deal with, hard to hard to talk about. What is your biggest failure and what did you learn from that?
1: Yeah. um, I'll give three. (laughs) So um, in 1998, when they had the Russian default, we had a significant position in Russian treasury bills. Since we thought it's fiat money and you really don't need to ever default, didn't think they would. They did a big failure, we had a fund, it was called high risk opportunities. So there was no mistaking what we were doing. That was the name of the fund. That fund failed. Terrible experience, horrible experience. 2008, our flagship fund was leveraged in treasuries. Funding went away, treasuries did poorly, We had positions that should have done unbelievably well. If I had those same arbitrages in the two year, we would have made a fortune. Instead, we lost a ton in 2008. That took five years to come back from big failure, big failure of leverage, big failure of being in a right idea, wrong structure and position. The third, um, I feel I failed, even though uh, uh, the, the world doesn't see it that way, is that um, I became the owner and general partner and the NHL governor of the Florida Panthers. And I didn't want to do it. Um, I had to step in. Now, the keys are being turned in and I had a bunch of pals, I was the vice chair there. And um, I stepped in, even though I knew the situation was extremely difficult financially. And after five years, I couldn't write the ship and I had to sell. And it was extremely difficult. We had some success on the ice. I thought I could bring gambling into our uh, facility. That didn't happen. Um, I was unable to write the financial ship and in effect uh, sold uh, the Panthers to the current owner. So there's lots of failures. And um, if if I could say something about that. Please. is, Is when I first started in the business in 72, my um, my boss said to me, he actually said it backwards, but it sounds better. He said to me, because we were equity guys, he said, Cliff, don't mistake brains for a bull market. And I never, never forgot that. He really never, he really meant don't mistake a bull market for brains. Okay. But it sounds better the way he he said it. You really learn the most when you do poorly and when you fail. You don't learn so much when you win. You think you were right. You think you knew everything. You think you were smarter than the guy next to you. When you fail is generally when you learn the most. So I've had some serious learning experience. We've had a magnificent, almost 50 year career in this biz. And we were, you know, we had 48 of those 50 years were up. But the two years we did poorly, let me tell you, it it, it was, you learn a tremendous amount about the business, about what you do, about other people, about character. You learn a lot more.
0: Was there anybody in your career who you feel like was a good mentor, mentored you or lay you in the right direction? Yeah,
1: you know, I've had a few, but my partner, Warren Mosler, who's actually sort of a, a, a well-known figure in the business. He's the father of what's called MMT, Modern Monetary Theory. We've been discussing this since 1977, 78. And uh, Warren is an unusually um, insightful individual, and Warren has been a great mentor for a long period of time, even though he has not been active in the business for you know a good twenty five
0: years. Cliff, well, let's talk about the Panthers for a second, um, or the wins. We talked a little bit about the losses, but um, you know, why do you feel like you? Um, I'd I love to hear more about the failure, honestly. Like, I I, I know you're taking it uh, a lot to heart, um, but I'd I love to hear just more about it in general.
1: Well, let's put it this way. Um, you know, it's unusual to be, quote, the owner of a professional sports franchise. There aren't that many of them, you know, in the major league franchises. So, number one, you know, there's a lot of, ego, um, that can be involved behind it. Okay. Um, You know, to go to an NHL board of governors meeting to, to be the owner, it's, um, you know, it's very uh, heady. Okay. Um, But for the franchises that don't make money, and lose quite a bit of money, it's extremely difficult if if the franchise was just losing a little or breaking even, it's terrific. I mean, what a, what a party it is to go, you know, 15,000 people at 41 home games. But, you know, I sat down with everybody in the crowd, and I would only go upstairs to meet, uh, you know, the city officials or the sponsors during the second period, and I would come down and sit back down with everybody. So it's a great experience, but um, it was extremely difficult. And I'm not positive uh, because it was so difficult that I would do it again.
0: Where do you see the the sporting industry going? It seems like the valuations of these teams have gone up so much. And, yeah. um, you know, people are just pouring so much money into it. We, we think the future of the NFL is. I mean, like it's... Yeah, no, it's I
1: I don't know, and I don't know if I'm the the best uh, guide on that. And I've seen some of the hockey valuations uh, go up, but it's interesting, you know, there are still many, many teams that uh, don't make money. So (laughs) the valuations are really what somebody is willing to pay to be the owner. It's not necessarily a financial valuation when they're um, breaking even or losing a lot.
0: Cliff, let's go into your Judaism. What does being Jewish mean to you and feel comfortable answering that question in, in any way?
1: Yeah. Um, it meant a lot to be part of a Jewish community and the Jewish community. So. Moving to Boca was very interesting, because obviously Boca, even from the start, had a, a significant concentration of the Jewish community there. And those who came down during that period really had a chance to build that Jewish community. So very quickly I joined uh, Bene Torah Synagogue, and B'nai Torah uh, today is certainly one of the top 10, if not one of the top five leading synagogues uh, in the US. And through the synagogue at the beginning, you know, became my involvement with the community. I was head of the um, building committee that built the original uh, 40,000 square foot uh, footprint. I was president of the synagogue, president of the foundation, um, on the board for 20 years. And B'nai Torah became family, community, everything. Our friends were there. Our kids were born and bat mitzvahed there. Uh, the year my uh, oldest daughter was bat mitzvahed, that year we went to 23 Bar and bat mitzvahs between September and May, and I'd say maybe 18 or 20 were up in a Torah. So it was terrific to really, really feel part that you were an important part uh, of building that community. And then later on. um, We got involved with Jewish Family Services. And we began a program sending kids who couldn't go to camp, uh, to camp and by the, we did that for 13 years and by the program's end, um, we had over 100 um, Jewish kids from families in the area going to a summer camp. And that was very rewarding again, to work with the slightly larger Boca Raton Jewish community uh, through Jewish Family Services.
0: Cliff, a lot of our students on campus around the country, as well as some of our alumni who are graduated from grad school now and in the workplace, are being faced with anti Semitism. What's a message that you have to our students and alumni right now with what the Jewish community has been facing?
1: Um, obviously, it's very, very difficult for all of us. I mean, still glad that we live in the United States where at least politically, and in in good measure, it's not tolerated, but I'm going to give a slightly different perspective. I mean, I can't compete with the ADLs of the world and the American Jewish committees in fighting anti-Semitism, but I will tell you what I am doing in our own small way that I think has uh, a very positive effect. Two things. Um, My wife and I and our daughter, okay, we run what's called the Eda and Cliff Viner Community Scholars Foundation. We have 12 high schools here in Palm Beach County that we service by giving scholarships for needy students, deserving students, great students that couldn't afford to go to college unless they had a scholarship. We have an unbelievable program. Mentors, we graduate 95% of these at-risk kids. They go to Florida Public Universities. They come back and serve the community. But what I'm getting at here is that all of these students, and they it's a very diverse mix of students throughout the county. All of these students see a Jewish family out there in the community at all of these high schools, sending students to all these college, they see a Jewish family doing good. And I will tell you, they recognize it. And if there was anti-Semitism, one way to combat it is for them to see it up close. And let me tell you, these kids are like family. They hug us. They love us. We're involved in their lives. We're involved in their families' lives. We've changed their lives. We've changed their parents' lives. We're gonna change their kids' lives. So one way, in a small fashion, in a local fashion, is to do it by example. They see us out there. They see our kindness our generosity, our interest, our commitment to the whole community. And I think it's a lot harder when you see people like that, that maybe you appreciate. It's a lot harder to spread that anti Semitic message. And then I'll give a second. And that is, um, I'm a board member of the Urban League of Palm Beach County. Okay. And I'm the founder and chairman of the Urban League of Palm Beach County Foundation. And I work out in the community for the Urban League all the time. And they see what a Jewish man is doing for the entire needy urban Palm Beach County. I gave a speech in front of over 400 people. I get to speak every year because of what I do. And I get to speak every year at the Youth Empowerment Luncheon because I have a partnership with the Urban League about trying to find students for our scholars. I gave a speech and the first thing I put up on the screen was the very popular picture of Martin Luther King, okay? And Ralph Abernathy on the march from Selma to Montgomery. Everybody went, oh, look at that. But if you look at the picture, as I pointed out to everybody, I said, who holds Martin Luther King's right shoulder right there? Okay. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And look at the gentleman on Abernathy's left shoulder, all four of them together. It's a man named Peck. But he's holding a huge Torah on the march. And I went on and on about being a Jewish man with Jewish values for this community that the Urban League and our Jewish community hold the same values. Fairness, justice, equality, equal opportunity for all. So again, in my small way, reach the community, let them see firsthand what a Jewish man is all about. And to me, that's the best I can do in my way to to fight anti-Semitism.
0: Flip, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really quick, uh, one word answers. We have one minute left. Okay. Uh, Favorite sports team? Florida
1: Panthers.
0: <laughs> favorite Jewish holiday.
1: Um, favorite Jewish holiday. I guess uh, it's Passover because um, the kids all uh, come together. We all come together at Passover.
0: Favorite Jewish food.
1: Uh, favorite Jewish food. I don't know if babka is Jewish food, but if yeah, not, yeah. it's not ball. <laughs>
0: um, who will be president in twenty twenty four? You don't have to answer it if you don't want to.
1: Um, You know, I I, I don't know. I don't know. I wish Joe Lieberman were running.
0: (laughs) Me too. Last question. What is one word you associate with Jewish?
1: You know, for me, it is honor, character, and integrity. I know it's more than one word, but it's that notion of doing the right thing and being a mensch.
0: Lev, I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you and coming on today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And again, thank you, Cliff. And uh, Uh, see everybody soon.
1: Thank you, Rabbi, for the opportunity.